Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. The 60th edition of the Munich Security Conference has concluded here in Germany. At the world leading forum for debating international security policy, the conference aims to help decision makers address the world's most pressing security concerns, from the wars in Ukraine to Gaza to conflicts in the Horn of Africa. How to maintain global stability at a time when different but interlinked conflicts are unfolding simultaneously? Is the world falling into a zero-sum mindset with more countries ending up in the lose-lose confrontation as warned by the Munich Security Conference? And finally, what can the international community do to cool tensions before it's too late? Joining me in Munich is Comfort Aaron, President and CEO of the International Crisis Group. I'm Xu Qinduo. Welcome to Dialogue Comfort. Again, uh, we are pleased to have you. Uh, let's take a look at the situation in Ukraine, which is real close to the hearts of a lot of people in uh, Munich Security Conference. We know there are agreements from Germany, France with Ukraine providing long-term support, but at the same time, we do see delay or suspense of uh, you know, difficulty in approving more military aid to Ukraine in Washington. So how do you characterize the current status? Um, I was in Brussels and um, Washington DC before I came to, to Munich and I've been keeping an eye on the passing of various aid packages for Ukraine. And in that sequencing of sort of, of, of events, it was crucial that the 50 billion aid package for Ukraine was signed by European heads of states on the 1st of February. Um, it was also instructive that on the eve of the passing of that package, um, a number of European leaders led by um, Chancellor Olaf Scholz acknowledged in an open letter um, in the Financial Times um, that there had been a, a failure of, of um, fulfilling the promises, the commitments that had been made to support Ukraine, both particularly on the military front. And there's been a lot of conversations about making sure that Europe was able to provide the necessary ammunition, the production and all those things as well. Um, the US was watching very carefully and the assumption was is that Europeans focused on that and dealt with that aid package. It would make it easier um, for the Biden administration to get the 60 billion of aid supplemental passed um, in the in the the, 50, the 60 um, passed um, in the, on the Washington side, I got into the U.S. and what is very clear to me um, is that unlike last year, um, Ukraine has clearly become a political football um, in in Washington, um, and that passing um, that package. And it's not just Ukraine, Israel Gaza is part of that, Taiwan is part of that, and it's also tied to the southern border, it's tied to the migration issue. It's very clear to me that it's a domestic issue. Um, it's also become part of the electoral um, campaign, um, some um, on the Republican side, um, partly because of uh, President Trump has also said we don't want to give the Biden administration a win. It's very unfortunate. Um, that something as strategic as important, something that has global significance, um, something that is crucial to the security architecture of the trans transatlantic relationship can now find itself sort of being caught in that ping pong of the electoral campaign. So we should be worried, we should be concerned. And I think that has shaped and defined a lot of the conversations here 
at Munich Security Conference. I think it's left a lot of Europeans um, concerned, and of course the Ukrainians themselves are worried, but the message from Zelensky remains the same, that with or without um, that support, which you'd like to see, um, Ukraine is going to continue to fight for the defense of its own sovereignty as well. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, adding to that, uh, we have noticed, uh, you know, the signs of a shift in priorities mm -hmm. in the European countries. Mm -hmm. uh, according to the report by the Munich Security Conference, you know, they um, uh, ask people to list the risks, mm -hmm. like uh, 34. 32 of them and Russia ranks the seventh in mm -hmm. Germany mm -hmm. and uh, of course it's a kind of a similar situation in Italy and France. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what are behind, uh, what are factors uh, are behind this shift of attitudes here? Um, I think there are different domestic constraints for each, each country as well. Um, you know, Europe itself, and there have been various surveys, this is the one that's been done by, by, by Munich, um, another organisation that we that we are familiar with, the uh, European Council for Foreign Relations, put out their own surveys as well. And there's a sense of anxiety in Europe. Is the is their conclusion for them the issues around um, climate change and migration? Um, you know, issues of of a, particularly around migration is shaping um, the politics of a number of countries as well. And this is not new. It was very much it there. Therefore, in, yeah. yeah, it was there in 2015. It's right. also what shaped what eventually became Brexit in the in the UK. You know, and climate change has become very much a, a, an order of the conversation um, today. And some of it's a generational concern. Some of it's shaped by the various political makeup of each of the countries as well. The fact that Europe, that that this survey showed that Russia was set seventh also says a lot about how Europe itself and how certain European countries um, read um, security um, within the within the Union. I mean, if you ask the Baltic countries, where do they rank um, Russia? I think I think you will see it closer to the top. I think if you ask Poland where they rank Russia, they may see it closer to the top. So it varies according to the the social and political fabric um, in each of these countries, but. Um, it's, it's, there are a number of things that are, are making Europeans anxious and it's not lost on us that migration um, continues to be um, up there. But I think that also speaks to the, the policies um, that, and the choices that Europe has made vis-a-vis -vis its own external borders as well. Mm -hmm. Well, there are talks uh, at the Security Conference of uh, increasing defence budget for mm -hmm. several countries exactly. there. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but then, of course, you know, uh, it's like a knee-jerk response, right? If there's, uh, you perceive a uh, risk and you mm -hmm. want to increase your own capability. Yeah. But is that ultimate solution you know, to our security kind of a dilemma? You know, like yeah. everybody, if, you know, if A increases defence capability, then B, I mean, Will say, oh, we need to, pro to better protect ourselves. Yeah, look, this is a very sort of worrying time. Um, I think if you look at the entire sort of conflict and geopolitical landscape, more and more desire by leaders to use a military, um, the, the, the military response to um, address a number of conflicts as well. So we're seeing wars rising in a number of places, and we're seeing um, leaders preferring to use. Uh, or seek out a military solution as opposed to diplomacy. Um, in fact, sometimes one is left with the impression that to, to suggest diplomacy is to suggest that you're weak. You know, to suggest um, a diplomatic approach um, means that you, you, you do not have um, the cap capability to show you that you're strong. And yet we've, we haven't come across um, any conflict 
um, that has been sustainable uh, or any, yeah, any conflict that has been sustainable by just the use of force. And it's very clear to us that any form of negotiated settlement, any sustained peace process requires a very firm, clear path towards negotiation. It requires what we're doing right now, dialogue, um, putting all the key issues on the table. And it requires you to think through options for deal making. Um, and in wherever you've seen any other conflicts, that when it's a victor's piece, it, it's very fra fragile, and it and you never really deal um, in a concrete way with the grievances that are at the heart of that conference. Mm -hmm. We well, speak of the public opinion, and of course, and its impact on the policy making mm -hmm. uh, on the government level. Uh, you know, this is the year of the elections around the mm -hmm. world, mm -hmm. and here in the European uh, Union or European Parliament, you know, there will be upcoming elections. There is concern of the rise of uh, you know populism and nationalism that will lead to probably or possibly the victory of right-wing parties. Is that a concern to you? Yeah, I mean, it's not new. It's not a new phenomenon. It's been very much there um, for the last um, 10 years um, or so. Um, and it goes back again to the, to the domestic stresses, um, the anxiety in a number of societies, you know, cost of living, um, it, you know, the governance issues, um, questions about education, um, questions about equality and number, you know, poverty. So all those things are playing out in a number of European countries, and a number of them coming out of the pandemic, seeing you know the a, a weak economic base, um, and you've seen all these stresses and, and stresses and anxieties, and not just in Europe. You've seen it in the U.S. Very polarizing um, um, sort of domestic environment, very toxic sort of politics playing out, um, and you've seen it el elsewhere. You know, but it's it's front and center. Um, of Europe. It's very hard to determine which way it's going, but if you look at a number of the polls, a lot of the sort of um, assessments that people are, are suggesting, a sense in which um, some you know, countries will veer more to the right. Um, what that means in terms of the future of the European Union, in terms of its policies, in terms of the principles, this is going to be a testing year um, for, for European Parliament, but it's also going to be a testing year in a number of quarters. It's not just the US or Europe who's having elections. That's We've right. seen some of them in, in other yes. places. So this is a crucial year for sort of the resilience of, of, of democracy, democratization, but also of, of governance and the values that a number of countries um, um, used to determine you know, the fate of the international um, system. And I think what worries me is whether out of these various um, elections um, we can still guarantee sort of international cooperation, multilateralism, and continue to find ways in which to collaborate to, to find a peaceful way out of the crises that we're seeing everywhere. Mm -hmm. Let's have a short break. We'll be back right after this. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. Welcome back. Speak of the crisis, of course, another one going on is the, the uh, Gaza crisis. Mm -hmm. We are seeing, you know, increasing warning, at least mm -hmm. from 
uh, some of the Western countries like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, mm -hmm. uh, the recent one, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in a sense, they were supposed to be on side, or they are on mm -hmm. the side of Israel, mm -hmm. but even they, they can't accept that uh, kind of scenario. Yeah, I think they've seen... Will that create a pressure also on the US, which is well, a major backer of uh, Israel? Yeah, I mean, we've been pretty clear also that this now lays at the door of the United States. If there's any country, despite what we've seen in the last four months, despite, I think, um, America's own frustration behind the, behind, the, um, behind the scenes, but even publicly um, airing their frustrations that, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu and the far right are not listening to them. This is, this is clearly in the, in the quarter of the, of the US to continue to pressure and not just to say, you know, publicly um, that you, you know, that you have to stop the fighting, but it's, it's, it, but also but, supplying weapons. But also supplying, you know, supplying weapons as well. So it's a, you know, the, the, a lot of it's been a lot has been said about the United United States. They played a crucial role in that initial um, truce. Um, the bear hug of of Prime Minister of President Biden was played a crucial role at the time. But this time, I think it's very clear that if this operation goes ahead, it will have devastating consequences on Gaza. There'll be nothing nothing left. The the U.S has tried very hard to prevent an escalation, a regional escalation, so is Israel and so is Iran. Neither side wants to see a war escalating. But if this should go, if this should continue to go on, it, the, the, the ramifications will go way beyond um, Gaza as we've seen today. Well, we said well, you know, ramifications, mm. that's, uh, you know, uh, a scenario that mm. concerns a lot of people. Mm. You know, we say, talk about Iran, mm. the Red Sea mm. crisis, the mm. Houthi. Uh, and also the other uh, militia uh, groups in this region. Of course, the concerns like whether there will be a regional war or even worse, like a beginning of the World War Three. Some people would say, uh, is that? Uh, I mean, how likely uh, that will come true? How likely? Uh, what can be done? You know, to stop that kind of scenario? Yeah, I mean, we warned from the very beginning of, of the potential for escalation and in the sense you're there with, um, with what you're seeing with the, with the Houthis. But nonetheless, I mean, the three, three of them, Israel, Iran and the US, have been very clear that they wanted to avert um, a, a regional escalation as well. So and I think making sure that it doesn't get any worse than it is right now is, the, is sort of the key focus. And, you know, that, so far that hasn't played out. You know, the theme of the of the Munich Security Conference is lose is called lose lose. Yeah. Each of these countries will lose if this should get any 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 worse as well. Um, for 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 Iran, um, it it will look pretty bad in terms of what it's also trying to um, achieve in in terms of its own relations with the United States as well. So the the message here is de-escalation. Um, but if you want also to de-escalate, you've got to get that secession of hostilities on the table. Um, it's not lost on any, any of us that the Houthis have also said that, you know, as part of their pullback, um, you need to get their secession of hostilities and the humanitarian aid in. Now, have they gone so far that, we, that it will be very difficult to pull them back? I mean, time will tell. But if you don't de-escalate, um, if you don't get that secession of hostilities in place, the, the war is going to continue. The Houthis will, will continue to see lifeline in their, in their fight as well. Mm -hmm, that's true, uh, and at the same time, we do see there's a um, you know questioning, of, especially from the global south, mm -hmm. you know, from the Western approach toward the Gaza crisis. Well, in this country, Germany, they are one of the strongest supporters of Israel, mm -hmm. but other you know, European countries are you know pretty critical of Israel operation. Mm -hmm. Plus, the global south, you know, they are questioning whether there is a rule 
based international order, or, yeah. you know, practice in Ukraine, practice in or attitudes toward Gaza is different. Yeah, if it was already it was if it was already on weak and fragile stand in relation to Ukraine, it's it's certainly um, further dented that rules-based order. Look, even Europe itself um, is not unified on its on its policy. You've seen a number of countries break away and calling very clearly for cessation of hostilities, whether it's Spain or Ireland or Luxembourg as well. And, and it's not a surprise to us, some of those countries um, that have long been supporters and champions of, of, of the Palestinian cause, you know, spoke up very, very clearly. I mean, it's very unfortunate because in the, you know, there was a sense in which some of Europe, and, and particularly President Biden, had heard the concerns of a number of you know, global South countries. And there was, there, were, there were some initiatives that were being taken, but I think now that, 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 that observation about double standards has become even clearer now um, within Gaza. And, we, well, you saw the decision by South Africa um, to case, right, take the, the case of the ICJ. Yeah. Not a surprise given its own history, but, you know, quite frankly, Israel took that seriously. <laughs> you know, they brought their best um, lawyers, their best defence people um, to the court and took that, took that seriously as well. So I don't think it was lost on anybody that, one, South Africa did that, but two, that, that Israel, recognising South Africa's own history, um, 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 came to that court as well um, with a ready defence of its own operations as well. But it was also an important message from the from the, from the ICJ and, and watching what happens next, you know, and the reporting um, requirements um, towards Israel are going to be vital in the next coming, coming months as well. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, the report out of the security conference is, uh, you know, without uh, the Global South, mm -hmm. there will not this be one? international security, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so obviously they are paying more attention mm -hmm. to the attitudes uh, of the Global South. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but you know, are people concerned at the same time? There's a loss of credibility, you know, yeah. of Western nations, mm. you know, you, 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 you don't practice what you say. Yeah, but it's not, you know, it's, I think all countries um, are accountable as well. There's been a degree of complacency um, by, particularly at the level of the Security Council, um, the P5, who are, you know, the, the Security Council is the chamber of international peace and security. And, and all five of those countries that are on there are also equally accountable for the state of international um, relations today. So I wouldn't put all blame on one particular country or a group of particular the inability countries. Inability to. Yeah, all of them. You know, this is, this, is, this is the home of international peace and security. And when a conflict um, gets caught up in the geopolitical winds as well, each of those permanent five um, have to answer one simple question in how is it that you weren't able to avert, um, prevent um, um, escalation of a crisis. So it's very easy also to put all the blame um, on, the, on the North and, and on, on Western countries, but each player also um, has, a, has a role and has to answer certain questions. You know, the, the Chamber um, has a number of aggressors um, in there, and it's not just one aggressor, but... Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, speak of the big five, you know, mm. of course the US is um, the, 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 uh, the only superpower there, and uh, there's the election too, and uh, there's a real prospect of uh, Trump coming back to the White yeah. House. Mm. What will be the geopolitical uh, ramification or impact uh, in terms of Ukraine, for example, or uh, around the world? Good question. I mean, it's unpredictable, and I think it's and I think it's because it's coming from the U.S. I think people, a number of people, are nervous. I mean, the U.S. has both a you know, well, number one has a global role, but it can be both positive and negative as well. You know, we've seen in the initial the initial phase 
of the war in Ukraine and of Russia's aggression on, on Ukraine, that the US was an important unifier. And now we're watching in the lead up to the elections how Ukraine has become a political football. We've seen how um, Gaza has become both a domestic issue, um, but also at the Security Council how the US is losing um, credibility in front of a number of its allies uh, as well. So, you know, we've also seen how the US has become an important um, sort of uh, player, both assuring um, and sort of acting as a deterrent um, um, player um, in the Indo um, in the Indo-Pacific arena, where China also is a, an important sort of regional player. So, whether we like it or not, you know, the US has you know both a positive um, and a negative role, um, but so do others, um, depending on the arena in which we're talking about as well. Mm -hmm. Well, another P5 uh, is China. Mm -hmm. uh, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi uh, mm -hmm. was at the meeting mm -hmm. and he delivered a speech about the Chinese perspective of security or what kind of role China can play mm -hmm. to maintain peace and stability at this um, you know, period of time. Uh, what do you make of his remarks? Um, important, and I think it's, it's no surprise. I mean, China wants to be seen as a global um, player um, with significant uh, sort of security uh, and peace and security um, um, perspectives as well. Um, I think one of the important um, things for us and one of the issues that we were watching um, was that US-China relationship as well. And um, I think you and the last time you and I spoke was on the eve of the San Francisco um, right. um, 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 meeting of both leaders. Of important um, that those two leaders are met. It's sort of, it's part of the, 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 the steps um, to um, dealing with the emerging thaw um, that we are, we've been sort of watching very closely, especially after um, Nancy Pelosi's um, visit um, to Taiwan. So we've been looking for ways in which to sort of lower the temperature and that, that was a significant um, step. The fundamentals that, that sort of shape the relationship between both countries, they're still very much there, but nonetheless, that reassure, reassuring um, China um, um, about US role, um, bringing on the military to military cooperation, um, dealing with the economic issues that is very much at the center of, of, of President um, um, Xi Jinping's own concerns. But th those are important steps towards lowering the temperature, towards leading to an emerging, emerging thought. But the fundamentals that shape that relationship is very, is still very there. And I, and I, and I, and you know, the, the, the government doesn't like the way in which the, the U.S. frames it as strategic competition, but nonetheless, that is a very real um, relationship. That is, that is a defining feature of the relationship, given both countries' worldviews as well. One of the concerns, you know, from the Munich Security Report mm. is like uh, to avoid, I believe, is a lose-lose scenario. Yeah. What, what do we need to do, you know, especially for the major powers, EU, China, U.S., you know, and others? Um, you know, what do they need to, what kind of steps they need to take to avoid that kind of worst uh, scenario? Well, I think cooperation on the big flashpoints, you know, so Ukraine, Ga Israel, Gaza, you know, rebuilding the credibility around diplomacy as well. As I said to you, there's a sense in which, you know, diplomacy um, has been undermined, that it's been shaken to its core. You know, getting leaders um, to, to cooperate 
um, and to use the Security Council um, more effectively, to use, I mean, there's a lot of um, lip service paid to multilateralism, a lot of lip service being paid to, to, to peacemaking. And as I speak to you, there's a sense in which we have a, we're seeing a crisis of peacemaking, where leaders can get away with it, uh, because the, the tools that would normally um, sort of you know, pull them back, that would restrain them, um, are no longer working. So I think we've got to get more more consensus building, more coordination, more coming to the table, more averting. Um, a lot of lip service is paid towards prevention, you know, and we've got to do, do better, get them to think better, and get back to the art of diplomacy, and, and really doing that, 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 that heavy lifting um, to guarantee that we can get towards a sustainable um, process as well. One last question mm. you mentioned about the concern with uh, interdependence. Mm. You know, we used to talk about uh, you know, the benefits of mm. being independent, Dependent, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now somehow, yeah. you know, we have a changed mentality or independent or too much independence on this and that. Yeah, you know, I think, I think it's, it's largely also to do with pandemic um, and supply chains. You know, it's also, I think a number of countries are looking that they want to build alliances um, with key partners, with strategic partners, where they are not, um, they're no longer dependent or relying on one market, on one country to access um, goods, uh, products. And I think that is the story that we've been watching in the last four or five years, that a number of countries are seeing that we've been reliant on one, one, one route, one way. And I think a number of countries, even the US, is wanting to diversify and make sure that we don't rely on one country to, for any of our products. That's one of the consequences and fallout of Ukraine. In terms of the energy, you know, you watch Europe looking for other markets in which to get its own um, oil and natural, natural, natural ga gases as well. And you've seen it also in the, in the chips as well, you know, trying to get you know, different technology and not relying on one, one source to be, to be the, the one that delivers these things as well. So it's still very much, it's still very much interdependent, but I think the interdependence will change in terms of alliances that are being created as well, because we don't want to rely on one place. At least that's the logic of a number of countries. At the same time, you know, here at the security, at the Munich, people are also talking about growing the pie globally. Yeah, growing the pie. Look, there's a lot of interesting language that's coming, coming out, you know, and again, I think the pandemic um, and the climate financing debate has exposed um, certain realities about the unevenness of the international system. Um, the vaccine diplomacy, or the lack of it, um, the inability for certain markets, the African market, um, a number of them watched Europe build up walls. They watched the, the, the lack of cooperation, the lack of collaboration, you know, at a time when we needed to sort of work together as an international community um, to make sure that everybody had access um, to the vaccines. And I think that has led to suspicion, um, distrust, and frustration about what multilateralism means if you can't cooperate at a time of a pandemic that knows no borders, that affects everybody as well. That's true. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Comfort. Thank, thank you, so you for much. speaking with pleasure. us. You've been listening to programs from CGTN Radio. CGTN Radio. We invite you to visit us online for more audio, pictures and in-depth reports. 
at radio.cgtn.com. You can access a wide range of programs and find your favorite news, talk, features, entertainment shows, and podcasts. Hear the difference with CTTN Radio.